You should have an entire plan put together before that day comes. During your closing time period, you want to have an asset management plan. Everybody creates a business plan, but the business plan is generally focused on gaining investors, you know, and trying to map out a story of where we're going to go. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Loth, and today our guest is Sean Thompson. Today we're talking about the most important but also most unsung part of multifamily real estate investing. We're talking about asset management. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. We're going to go through it. We're going to define it and everything. But we're going through Sean's framework, his rubric for best-in-class asset management, what that means, what sponsors should be doing in their asset management plans, and what passive investors can look for to vet whether their sponsors have adequate asset management plans, experience, and so much more. This is one of the most important parts of multifamily real estate investing, and somehow almost nobody is talking about it. I'm very excited to have an expert, Sean Thompson, on today to teach you about asset management. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a multifamily and self-storage real estate investor. To date, I've acquired, invested in, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of commercial real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we're here. That's when we're doing it. Once again, our guest today is Sean Thompson. We're talking about really one of the most important parts of multifamily real estate investing that somehow almost nobody's talking about. I'm glad we have Sean on today to teach you about asset management. Let's go. Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background in real estate, can you tell us about what you do and how you got started as a real estate investor? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Taylor. I appreciate you having me on the show. So I started in real estate about you know about twelve or thirteen years ago. I've always wanted to do my own thing and have my own business, but I you know I, I was always working. I, I had a job you know until I was nearly forty, trying to provide for my family. You know I didn't really know how to kind of branch out. The last job I left, I made a commitment to myself that I'm going to build something on my own. I wasn't really sure there was going to be real estate, but I always loved real estate as a as a, a concept, right? I read Rich Dad Poor Dad like everybody does. I went there in my, when I was like 30 years old or so. And so that was kind of like something that I always had a niche for. Um, so I started in, in single family, you know, a long time ago. And, and that was how I kind of got my feet wet. The problem with single family is that it's it was awesome. I had a great business. The problem with single family is that it doesn't scale as large as other asset classes, right? And I always thought apartments were for hedge funds, guys who run REITs, you know, Wall Street guys, right? I thought those were the guys who controlled that that space. And I met someone that was a syndicator that was doing this, multifamily acquisitions and, and doing syndications. And I heard their story and I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it, right? You know, he's a regular guy, I'm a regular guy. It's, it seems like a no-brainer. So I convinced him to teach me kind of how he, he got started. He transitioned from single family as well. And so that was kind of my starting in a, in a multifamily. And the goal for my investing is always income. You know, I always want to have income. And uh, multifamily is a much better way to do that. It scales up and, and that sort of thing. And as we were starting our business in in syndications and multifamily, you know, I always, want, I always want to be the best. I'm not concerned with being the biggest. I don't care about, you know, my unit counts. I, don't, you know, I have goals for those things, but that's not my daily focus. My daily focus is I want to be as good as I can be today, right? And to serve my, and serve my investors, serve my community, serve my family. 
that's my goal in life, really, just in general, is to be to be as good as I can be. And so, as I was talking to my to people about investing in our company, investing in our business, they always asked me, "Who who's your asset manager?" You know, every time they would we would talk about it, they would say, "Who's your asset manager?" And I've always thought of myself as a great operator. You know, in single family, I operated all my business, all my properties. I did my own property management. You know, I worked with other property managements too. But so I, I consider myself a great operator. But in multifamily, there's a complexity that is slightly higher than, you know, a single family or just, you know, some other asset classes. And so I started asking the question to our business to ourselves, what does it mean to be best at, at asset management? What, how can we look at these investors and say, yeah, we're excellent at this. You know, we're, we're great at what we do on the asset management side. And I set out to find out what does that mean? What does best in class asset management and multifamily really mean? So I talked to other operators, other syndicators, property management companies, you know, regional managers, presidents of property management companies, asset managers that have done hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in assets for in, you know, institutional clients. We talked to investors, LP investors that were in other syndications, not our syndication, but other people's syndications. What is your experience? What are, what are you seeing that you like and dislike? And what we heard was a lot of horror stories. You know, people were like, oh, this is, this has gone wrong. And my property management company did that. And, you know, and that from property management companies, I would hear, oh, I can never get a hold of the owner. I can never get decisions. You know, I, so I heard all these problems that people have in this space. And from that, we kind of built our own best practices and we try to build our systems and processes for our business to be really good asset management. But what I thought to myself was as we were creating our, you know, our sort of platform for ourselves, I thought, man, we, we've created this, what I think is an excellent processes and systems for asset management. Maybe we can help these other people that are struggling, right? And we found that people were either struggling because they just didn't know how to do the job. They didn't have real estate experience. They were great at other things. You know, a lot of times on a GP, you'll get an engineer or an accountant or someone that's organized, right? And they'll, they'll make them the asset manager, but they have zero real estate experience, right? They don't know when a, when a fractured sewer line happens, what do I do, right? And so we thought we can, we could probably help other people by just offering our, what we think is a good asset management system to other people as a service. So that's what we've decided to do. So the last year or so, we've kind of been building that out and starting to take on clients here recently. And so now we offer that as part of our, as part of our business as well to others, to other operators that are in this space, kind of our size. And we're also, we also realize that there's a need for education. So we can't, we can't help everybody by doing that. And so right now we're also building out sort of an education platform that says, here's the best practices that we think will help you operate your property at its optimum and, and mitigate your risk as much as you can. So that's, that's kind of where we're at today. Awesome. That's great. I'd love to dig more into what does it mean to be a best-in-class asset manager? That's a great question, a very important question. I think it's one that folks haven't been asking through most of this past market cycle when there's been such a big run-up because- you could buy almost anything and succeed and seems that, you know, has changed moving forward and the best, you know, asset manager is going to make such a big difference in deals. So what does it mean to be a best in class asset manager? Well, definitely when a market is going up, a good market will hide mistakes in asset management, yes. right? So the asset management of a property can be not quite perfect. And if the market's going crazy and going up, then, then you're still going to be okay, right? But as soon as, I don't know if you noticed this too, but as soon as the market started tipping the other direction, asset management suddenly became a very important thing to talk about. And it's because there's, you know, if you're not on top of things, when, when the market isn't perfect, it, it can really devastate your property, right? The asset management seat 
You know, the funny thing is that we call it asset management, but everybody that operates a, a, a property, if you operate any sort of real estate asset, asset management is happening. You may not be calling it asset management, but it's happening. It's usually the operators that are doing it. I have operators that tell me my property management company does all my asset management, you know, and I'll say, wait a minute. I'll say, who's taking the weekly phone calls with your property management company? And they'll say, well, I am. And then I'll say, okay, who's, you know, making sure that they're hitting their KPIs? And they'll say, I am. And I'll say, okay, well, who's making sure your investors have their reporting and you've gone through the financials and all the bills are getting paid? Well, I am. I say, well, guess what? You're the asset manager, <laughs> you know? So a lot of operators just, they're, they're just doing the job, not knowing that they're doing the asset management. And so they, and they don't have any real guidelines or, you know, criteria for that. What is, what does that mean to be a good asset manager? They're just sort of handling their business is what they're doing. They're just doing the best they can to make their investment as good as it can be. Right. And that's essentially what an asset manager does. So I, I break an asset manager role down to two essential elements. There's the, the goal of an asset manager is to optimize the up, upside of your investment and to mitigate the downside. So you want to look at mitigating all your risk as, if you, as much as you best possible. And those are the two essential elements. So if you're always trying to capture more income, greater income, other income streams, making sure your expenses are in, you know, in, in check and you're not overspending on things, sometimes you need to spend more on some things to get, you know, to optimize, right? It's, the word is optimize, not cut, right? So sometimes you want to do something that costs more money because it's going to make everything better. And then mitigating risk is really the, the biggest part of what an asset manager does. You know, it starts at acquisition. We have three pillars that we call it. So it's acquisition, disposition, or sorry, acquisition, operations, and disposition. And the risk side of things that we talk about in our business is on the acquisition side, it's risk discovery. You're trying to find all the problems that you're going to have with this property or project that you're, that you're looking at acquiring, right? If you can't find all the problems, you're going to be surprised when you get into the next phase of your, of your operations, right? So in acquisitions, you're trying to find the problems. In, in operations, you're trying, to, you're trying to control those problems or, or optimize those problems as a benefit to your business. And then in dispositions, you're just trying to make sure that those, those problems are either solved that you've been working with or there's something that's manageable for the next buyer, right? And so those are kind of the, the, the risk phases for throughout the, the process. But I, I think what makes, to answer your question, that was a very long way to get to this answer, but I think what makes great asset management is it starts with communication. You know, if you're doing large multifamily like we do, you have to be able to communicate clearly with your property management company, your on-site team, your ownership team, your partners and investors. There has to be a level of communication and understanding throughout the, that group because we want to make sure everybody is headed towards the same objective. So we call it, in our asset management plan, we create a, a mission, vision, and plan and every, you want to make sure everybody's heading towards the same mission. You want that destination to be clear for everybody and have a clear understanding of where we're all trying to go with that project. I think that's really a step one in being successful as an asset manager. And then having clear accountability throughout, you know, who's, who's in charge of this? Who's responsible for it? What are the goals that you have to hit every day to make sure that this is a successful operation? That, that is critical as well. And then, and then that all comes with communication back and forth, right? And then when something does go wrong, communication is critical. Every, you have to get everybody together, drill down, find out what the problem is, create a solution for that problem, and then go execute that solution, right? And that all takes teamwork and communication to happen. So I, I would think excellent communication, understanding who's, what everybody's role is, and creating accountability and making sure you're heading in the right direction. Great. Awesome. So you're 
working as a third party asset manager, right? If I if I understand correctly, and coming in and helping other owners or operators with their asset management. And I'd imagine in that business, you're coming across some disasters, right? You don't necessarily call the third party guy if things are going just completely swimmingly. What's kind of the worst types of situations that you run into, like the biggest mistakes that operators are making when they're asset managing their own deals and don't really know what to do? Yeah, well, it's it's a number of things, right? So it could be it could be any number of situations people get themselves into. We help with, you know, lately we've been helping a lot of acquisition side deals where, I'll give you an example. We just looked at a property for a group that wanted to acquire this property. It was a great property, but they had, they were doing it as an assumption, which means there's no new funding coming in. It's just an assumable loan. But they just had a murder on the property, right? And the murder wasn't an issue for this existing p- person or, or group going in and buying the property. But it, when they go to sell this, there's, there's a ton of debt lenders that will just, they'll, they'll refuse to lend on a, on a property that had that level of crime. You know, it's the only, the only real loans you can get. There's only a couple of loans that are, you know, that, that will kind of overlook those things. So when those guys go to sell that property in three to five years, it's going to be an issue. It's going to narrow down the options for their buyers on what funding sources they're going to have, right? They'll still have funding sources. They'll, they'll still be able to sell it, but it'll be a, it'll be problematic. And so, question is at that point: Do you buy the property, right? So it's 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 even do we even take that risk? Why why would we put our investors in a property that we know there's going to be an issue at some point down the road when we try to sell and, and capitalize on this on this this sale, right? So those are kind of those are kind of some of the things that we you may not you know if you're trying to just get a deal put together. You may not stop and think about it, but for us, we're like, hey, we're we're trying to find all the problems again. Remember, in the in the acquisition phase, finding the risks, and it's a risk. You, you, as long as you know what you're going into, that's fine. And I think for a lot of ownership groups, they're they're so excited about getting a deal done that may they may take on some things that they shouldn't, right? And uh, you know, if you like to do that, it's okay. But you, you have to remember that you're putting yourself and your investors both in that position in that boat. And if it's got a leak, uh, you know, don't do this. Right. <laughs> and then I think, again, it goes back to another problem that, that people have is they don't set, they don't set a clear destination for what they're trying to accomplish with their, their project from the beginning. And they don't get buy-in from the whole team. You know, they buy a project, they buy a property and then they're like, okay, it's day one. We took over. We got the keys now. Okay. Let's start doing the CapEx and let's start running these things. Well, you should have an entire plan put together before that day comes. You're, you know, during your closing time period, you want to have an asset management plan. We, everybody creates a business plan, but the business plan is generally focused on gaining investors, you know, and trying trying to map out a story of where we're going to go. I, I, we do a kind of an asset management focused plan, which is essentially just another version of the same business plan. But we want to make sure that we have a mission, vision, and and plan in place, and then we have accountability structure, and then we have a, a clear communication line of communication throughout. And everything we think starts with the mission. That's that's your destination essentially, in in your plan. To give you an example, if let's say we want to have a safe property, so at the end of the at the end of this day, when we sell that property, we want to, we want it to be safe. We want people to be to feel comfortable there. And your vision is going to be the path that you're going to take to get to that mission. And so the vision for us would be: let's increase the security systems, let's increase the lighting, let's or let's make lighting better. You know, so we're going to do a couple of those things. And then our plan for that same structure, this is building on top of each other, right? So our, our mission is safety. 
Our, our vision is increasing security systems, increasing lighting. And our plan would be how many security systems, how many, when do they need to be installed? How many per week? What are they going to cost? Where are, they, where are we going to get them? Who's going to be in charge of making sure they happen, right? That's your plan. So if you don't go in and then we're going to say, okay, here's the accountability for property management to execute on. If you don't go into your project with that clarity, with your property management company, your onsite teams, your maintenance guys, if you don't have that sort of clarity with everybody, you're already starting off with a handicap, right? You're already starting off with everybody's just kind of doing their thing, right? And you, you, want, you want to be as efficient and moving as fast and, and, as possible to that mission or that destination that you're trying to get to. And I think a lot of people just, they just overlook that. They think they've created an, a, a business plan, but they haven't gotten buy-in from their, their, the people that are going to really execute that business plan. Right. That's really the most critical thing. Mm -hmm. Getting your plan clarity, getting ex getting buy-in from the, the people who are going to execute on it and then move forward. Wow. Great explanation. So for the listeners who just in case we're not on the same track, think about asset managing, kind of like just managing the property manager. There are different roles. You're kind of sitting above the property manager, keeping them on track, that kind of a thing. And that's important for the following question. Sean, how often do you find that a property manager just, they can't get it done. They need to be terminated. This is, we need to find another solution. You know, all the great communication in the world just isn't fixing this problem. We need to go find somebody else. How often does that come up and how hard is it? Well, let me start by clarifying. I guess I should have maybe said this before, but the difference in property, I can sort of synthesize this to a couple of little points, but the difference in property management and asset management, I get that question quite often. Uh, property management is on-site, your on-site team. They're there to execute on building a community that your residents love. They're there to execute on the daily operations, taking the phone calls, opening the office for people that want to come by, making sure the grounds are taken care of. They're there to execute on maintenance issues, re, re, you know, some renovation issues. They're there to make sure that the, the physical asset is maintained. So they're really your on-site operations. They do everything there. And they're a good property management company is essential. It's, it's one of the most critical things you can have to be a successful operator and especially in large multifamily for sure. So vetting a good, a good property management company is, is very critical. The asset manager, like you said, it oversees the overall or overarching business plan and make sure that everybody's kind of sort of firing on all all cylinders and making sure that we're, we're executing on that business plan. That's the, the asset manager is the sort of the the overseer of all that sort of thing. So that's, that's the kind of the basic differences. And the question is, how often do I see bad property management? Bad property management is really, you know, everybody complains about property management. And I think from my experience in the, like I said, we, we talked to a ton of people investigating this and all the complaints that I heard about property management was really an asset management problem, right? The property management company was just trying to do their job. The owners were expecting them to be asset managers, right? They were expecting them to do things that they, that's not in their, it's not in their wheelhouse to do, right? So it's when you, it's when you kind of put pressure on your property management company to do things that that's really not their purview, purview that's when it kind of gets strained, right? If, and if you're not providing property management with the tools they need, they need money to do what they're doing. They need decisions to happen rapidly. You know, if you get a, you know, we get calls all the time. Hey, we've got a fractured sewer line. It's going to cost 10 grand. What do we do? You know, and we have, we have to make that decision. Is, is, do we spend the 10 grand? Do we fix it? We have to make that decision now so that our residents get a repaired property. I've, I've had property management people tell me that they make that phone call and they don't get a hold of the owner for two weeks. Wow. You know, and it's like, that's, that's unacceptable. You just, you, you have to be, you have a responsibility as the owner too, to the property management company to provide them with the capital and the decisions and the guidance that they need to do their job properly. Right. So it's a two-way street. 
And most of the problems that I've seen, I've had bad property management companies too. I I had a property management company that we were, they were referred by somebody, so we went with them. You know, we didn't really vet that hard. It was a really big mistake. We, the initial conferences that we had with them, they they sounded fantastic. Everything was phenomenal, and they really said all the right things. So we brought them in. The first three months, we had our our regional director, the director of maintenance, uh, our regional manager, and our maintenance lead maintenance for their company, not my onsite team. My onsite team was fine, but for their company, all those four those four positions turned over three times in four months, the first four months. So we didn't get any executed <laughs> CapEx. They weren't able wow. to get anything completed. You know, So after, after the third time this, or the second time this happened, I started interviewing other companies. It happened one more time. And I said that, you know, that well, I was already in process to terminate them anyway. I said, that's it. We're done. And we had to, you know, but you just can't control that stuff. That was a, that was a devastating, like you, you could, you could never kind of predict that level of, of problems. But most of the time it's, it's, again, goes back to, you don't have a clear plan. You don't have clear accountability for your property management company. You don't have clear direction. You know, so it's a lot of those things. It's, it's the asset manager setting the parameters with which you're going to work under that really helps a property management team do a great job for the project. They're in business to do a good job for you. They're not in business just to, to screw things up that no one, no one sets out to do that. It's the problems come when you're not, you're not supporting them or giving them what they need. And, you know, that's not to say that you're going to not have issues. I, I can give you a, I could tell you stories for the next two hours on, on issues that just, you know, are scary. But when you, when you have those things, you just have to move on to the next company. And there's, there is a ton of, of great property management groups out there. And they really, those ones that are really, they're really doing a good job. They really want to be there for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. I think for the most part, it's communication management, that kind of thing. I have had money stolen from me by a property manager before, but I think that's probably more the exception than the rule. And, you know, we've had so many over the years. So for the listeners out there, you know, passively investing in in multifamily deals and wondering what are some steps they can take to make sure their sponsor has, you know, an appropriate asset management plan in place. What are some things, things that they can think about? when doing that, you know, analysis or, or vetting of the sponsor's asset management plan? Yeah. I, so I look at this a little bit differently than, so I, you want to make sure your sponsors have a, you know, a good track record. You want to obviously look for those things. But I, I, the problem I have with saying that is I've talked to sponsors that have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in, in assets and they are terrible asset managers, right? Their track record, <laughs> their track record looks amazing. Oh, and from all outward appearances, they just look amazing. But and they, they do, they do for the most part, a, a decent job at, at their business, but they're, they really do let asset management slide, right? So you want to look at what their plan is for the property. You want to know what are you, what are you going to execute, right? What is the plan that you're going to execute and who's going to be in charge of it? Do you have a person that is going to be looking after this asset for us, the investors at all times? Do you have someone that's dedicated to that? And you want to kind of look at what they're, what they're trying to achieve with the property, not just the business plan that they're, the PPM level business plan that they're pitching. You want to say, Hey, what, what is the ask? What is your focus on the asset management plan for this property? I think, you know, if, if they can answer those questions, like I, I, I met with several sponsor groups that just have amazing asset management systems. They are, they're so organized. They know exactly what's going on. You know, they're, they're working with their property management companies on a consistent basis. Their reporting is amazing. You know, that's the other thing you can ask, you know, can I, can I, what kind of reporting should I expect? You know, I've had, I've had passive investors tell me that, oh, my sponsor was great 
when I was signing up, but once I, once the deal funded and closed, I, I haven't heard anything from him. And I asked him, you know, how long has it been? And he said, it's been a year, you know, no money, wow. <laughs> no money, no reports, no communication, no nothing. It's just been a year, you know, and that's absolutely unacceptable. If you're, if you're a passive investor in these deals, you're a partner in these deals. You, you need to have some level of understanding of what's going on daily on the property. You know, we do reports that are, I don't know how many pages our reports are. There are a dozen pages probably, but we do a full good, you know, the good news, bad news, everything. You just We just report the news, what's going on on the property for that month. You know, if there's a plumbing leak, we let you know what, what's causing that, what, much, how much is going to cost this, you know. You're, the, the passive investors should feel like they're in this together with the operators of the, of the property. You should be getting that level of, of summary and you should be seeing all the financials. You know, the financials are, are a way to kind of figure out if it's going in the right direction or not going in the right direction. You know, we have some properties that we're having to withhold dividends because of the, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're looking at some issues that we may have to overcome, you know, so we want to stack the capital. So making good decisions sometimes hurts the investor on the short term, but it's the best long-term decision. And the investors need to understand what's happening. You know, they need to understand why the, the operators are making those decisions and what's what's causing those decisions, and know that the operator is doing the right thing. You know, and so if if you're not communicating on that level, that's that's important. And trying to figure that out with your sponsor team as you're making your investments is going to be important. Absolutely. Wow, a lot of great details in there. And yeah, if you haven't heard from somebody in a year about it, that's that's pretty troubling. Don't let it last that long. Yeah. He you didn't know, tell me who it was, but I said, I said, you need to, you need to make a phone call tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Monthly or quarterly updates is what you should expect. That should be laid out out front and they should stick to that schedule. Absolutely. So, great. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Sean, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Best investment. You know, I, it's hard for me to say. I, I, the, probably the best investments are the investments I didn't make, honestly. You know, the ones that, the ones that I walked away from are probably the ones that I feel the, the best about. There's some investments that I walked away from that I wish I had done, but you know, I, I, I have, I've never lost any money on my deals. Most real estate investors, they just say, well, they've, they've lost money, but I'm a pretty conservative guy. And so I've done pretty well on all my investments so far in life. But, you know, the best investment's just been, I think it's the ones that I said, Hey, that's, that's, that's a bad idea. And, and we, we've walked away from. So that's a strange answer, I'm sure. But I think if I, if that would be my, my answer, answer to that question. Gotcha. Okay. Well. Given that you haven't lost money in a deal, this next question might be a little difficult to answer, but we have the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Man, I've, I had to think about it. I, like I said, I've, I've done okay on almost everything. I did buy, a, I'll talk about my single family days. I did buy a house that was on a busy street one time 
And for me, it wasn't, it didn't seem like a problem, but it took me like a, a year to sell that thing. So I still didn't lose money. I still made a couple, a couple thousand bucks, but yeah, that would probably be my worst investment. Just, just not, not vetting the property properly in the traffic pattern that, that went through there. This one street was like a connector street between two major streets. So when rush hour happened, all the people would take this as a shortcut, you know, and I didn't realize that when I looked at the property, it wasn't rush hour. Right. So I missed that detail. You know, that was, that was just, that was probably my, my, my least favorite property I ever bought. <laughs> gotcha. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Well, there's a lot of them, you know, I, I, I've learned quite, quite a lot of tough lessons, but I think, you know, if I had to just give like a, a piece of advice that I try to live by is a couple things, maybe I just want to try and do a good job you know, for everybody that's involved in my, my world, right? I, I want to be as good as I can be every day. I fail miserably most days, honestly, you know, but you, you, as long as you're striving to be as good as you can be and, and, and live your life with integrity and principle, I think that's really the, the key to being successful. And then for me, investing in your network and, and the people around, you know, I have, I have a ton of friends and a ton of people that I know and tons of people that are in our network. And, and I really enjoy meeting and talking to those people. And, and giving back to them, you know, I try to serve my, my surrounding community as much as I can just by helping with advice or so, anything like that. You know, I, I had a call yesterday with someone who's just getting started and, you know, hopefully I, I would gave them a couple of little tidbits to maybe help to get their path started a little faster or something like that. So I think just, just caring for your community and your network will really, it makes me feel better just for myself, my personal well-being, but I think that's really what is is driving our success is that we we truly do care about those people around us and we, and we want to try and give back as much as we can. I love it. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks out there want to get in touch, if they want to learn more about you, what you're up to, anything like that, where can they track you down? Well, we're rebranding our asset management business. So I we, we just now are transitioning our name. So I, I think the best place maybe to reach out, I know this is going to be a future podcast, but and by then we'll have our branding done, but I think if you just go to Thompson Multifamily Group.com, Thompson is spelled a little bit uniquely. It's T-H-O-M-S-O-N, Thompson Multifamily Group.com. We can get you, that'll get you connected to us somehow, and then we can get you to the asset management business or whatever it is. So, you know, that, but that's, that's my acquisition business website, and you can find me there. Great. No P in Thompson. You got to keep that yeah. in mind for the folks out there typing it in. Sean, thank you so much once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because they see your ratings and reviews. They see that you're learning something from the show. They decide to tune in and learn alongside us. And you know what? That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see your ratings and reviews and I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. For those of you who are tuning in on YouTube, we're happy to have you. Just as an FYI, Sean and I did not coordinate our shirts today. We are wearing nearly identical shirts. But if you're listening to the podcast, you you guys missed it. So tune in on YouTube, check out the videos, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.